And welcome back. How's everyone getting on? Doing very good. Um, today we're joined by Sloan Tom Tomlinson. Um, Sloan, how about you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, hi. I am uh, Sloan Tomlinson. Uh, I live in uh, Massachusetts and the United States, and um, I work with wasps uh, in addition to many other things. Uh, I currently am also working at a nonprofit educational outreach program, which specializes in teaching people about insects and their importance, um, how great they are, valuable lessons to be learned from them, how important they are to our environment. Uh, and we go and do programs throughout museums and uh, science centers, schools, et cetera. Um, and I work a lot with researching the parasitoid wasps that come out of caterpillars <laughs> at that lab. Um, and I do a lot of other things like photography and uh, fine art printing and um, yeah. <laughs> a, a jack of all trades. But yeah. the one that really caught my interest and made me want to have this conversation today was the wasps. Because I don't know how many experts there are out there on wasps specifically, because it's obviously very niche. And yeah. um, they're, they're pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Like you're talking about parasitoid wasps. And um, the, the alien movie was based off one that, um, well, it lays its eggs inside of caterpillars and then, yeah. like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that that's that's weird like that that, that nature is metal yeah that's... no it's a, it's you basically you can take any of the most intense science fiction movies you've ever seen and then you go into the insect world and there's even more crazy insane stuff mm. that's that that's happening in real life right around you um you know we get a lot of very interesting behavior with the parasite wasp at the lab uh, there are species that um, you turn their host into zombies. Um, so that's a pretty intense thing. <laughs> wasp larvae, the female wasp lays her eggs inside of the caterpillar. The larvae eat the insides of the caterpillar, but they don't kill it. Uh, but they eat most of its hemolymph, which is insect blood, they eat its fats, uh, and then they break through its skin and they spin their cocoons beneath its body. Uh, that triggers a response uh, thanks to uh, poly-DNA viruses that the female wasp injected in with her eggs. Uh, that causes the caterpillar to become the bodyguard. So it will actually become a zombie. It will never leave the cocoon side. So it will just sit on top of the wasp cocoons and guard them from predators. Mm. Uh, and, then it, and then it will die. <laughs> so it will, it will never go on again to do anything else like that. So it's, it's yeah, there's some pretty intense, bizarre life cycles that happen with parasitoid wasps, which have definitely inspired a lot of science fiction because, I mean, it's, it's happening right under our noses and um, some very, very bizarre life cycles. That's super fucked uh, up. Absolutely. They're weird. That's super fucked up. Like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then that, that's not the whole thing. Like, there's so many species out there and they're discovering them all the time and yep. you know we were talking earlier uh, before we started about one so tiny that rather than have like traditional wings it's so right. small it has wings more like paddles to swim yep. through the air yep yep so i guess when you're that small the, the air is more yep the, the air, is, air is denser than the the insect is so they actually can't physically fly but they do have wings so the, the smallest known flying insect is a wasp. 
It's a parasitoid wasp that is an egg parasitoid. So it lays its eggs into eggs of other insects. So you imagine an insect, its eggs are super tiny. So these wasps are the size of an egg. Uh, or actually sometimes many of them fit into one egg. Um, that's how small they are. Uh, those are fairy flies are their common names. So Mimaridae is the family name. Uh, and they are pretty pretty broad group of, of wasps. We don't know a lot about them because so many of them are so small. Um, and some of them are still being discovered constantly. They're even smaller. Like they think they find the smallest one and then they find one that's even smaller. Um, there are really bizarre life cycles with them too because a lot of them will actually, the female will lay multiple eggs inside of the host egg. Uh, they'll larvae will hatch. They'll eat the whole inside of their host's egg. Uh, they'll pupate inside of the egg. The males will actually close first, a close being like coming out of their pupa. And the males have no eyes and they have no wings. Uh, and they basically then mate with their sisters uh, and then die inside the egg. And then the females chew their way out and they fly off and start the process over again. Mm. Man, that's, that's a weird life cycle. I'm glad we got our one, not their one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's kind of crazy. And do you ever think to yourself sometimes, like, what what is going on here? Uh, like, it, this is very bizarre in comparison to how like mammals or, oh, yeah. you know, vertebrates live their lives. There's definitely. I mean, it's pretty intense and and uh, completely unusual life cycles. I mean, you know, we. I think most of most people who don't work with insects are pretty surprised about how bizarre these life cycles are. Um, you know, insects are the most dominant for, force of life on Earth. There's about one million described species of insects on the planet. There's easily five times that many we haven't discovered yet. Uh, and you compare that to all the species of vertebrates, so fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, all of those combined isn't even like a tenth of that. So yeah. insects are, they're, they're everywhere. And so wasps are actually probably one of the largest groups of insects. Uh, it's kind of this constant battle between entomologists as to which group is the largest. largest. So the people who study beetles say beetles are, people who study flies say flies are, people who study wasps say wasps are. Yeah. A, a lot of new science <clears throat> that wasps are probably most likely the, the largest group of insects on earth. We just don't know about a lot of them because they're very, very small and have very like specialized life cycles. So yeah, yeah. Some, some of the behavior is very, very, very weird. <laughs> yeah, very, very bizarre. And um, you know, there's very few things in nature that cause, you know, this kind of zombie-like behavior. You know, there's, there's cordyceps, the, the, the fungi that makes them, makes ants climb up and fucking big stalk of um, cordyceps comes out of their head. That's pretty weird. But, uh, you know, burrowing inside or putting your eggs inside of a cockroach and tricking it to take care of them before they eat it. Whoa. Isn't isn't there a bird that does that? Like they, they lay their eggs in another one's and yeah. in another one's nest. No, it's different. There's a difference between laying it inside its nest and inside of it. Oh, yeah. Well, like, of course, yeah. But I'm saying like the, then the other bird think it's their egg and they look after mm -hmm. it until it kills them. They hatch and they kill it, right? What bird is, am I thinking? It's not the... I know you're thinking of a part of it. It kills the other ones in the nest, so it gets all the food. Yeah. Or it'll bully them to get all the food. Cuckoo birds, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's not yeah. There's, actually, weird. there's actually a group of wasps, the, the, the Chrysidid wasps are actually called cuckoo wasps. 
And the reason why they're called that is because they go into the nests of other wasps or bees and they lay their eggs inside of those nests. Uh, but unlike the cuckoo bird, these wasps don't get raised by the host wasp or bee. They actually just kill all their babies and eat them. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh... Yeah, as I said, nature of metal. Um, yeah, and then funny you bring up bees because, like, technically, like they're a kind of wasp. Like when people think wasp, you're thinking like yellow jackets and maybe hornets. You know, you're rarely ever thinking of like all these other things. And you'd be surprised what's like within the same family, includes ants and bees. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big family. Um, and we always see like the bees as being the good ones and uh, wasps as being anything annoying. And you know, uh, with you dealing with parasitoid wasps, um, that must be a fairly common thread of them being pretty damn evil. Well, yeah. evil is how you look at it, I suppose. <laughs> uh, certainly not the most, certainly not Disney-esque in their life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's parasitoidism is a pretty, uh, you know, it's probably the most dominant sort of life cycle for a lot of insects because it's a pretty successful life cycle. I mean, you know, you lay your eggs inside of another insect, then you don't have to worry about your legs getting eaten because they're inside something else and have a ready supply of food. Um, you know, it's, it's a gruesome life cycle, but it's definitely a very important part of it. Uh, you know, parasitoids take care of a lot of pest insects. Um, and without them, the huge populations would explode in caterpillars. They defoliate things. You lose a lot of plants because the caterpillars' populations would explode. Um, parasitoid wasps are used a lot in uh, agriculture um, in ways of trying to use less pesticides. So there are wasps that are specialized to only lay their eggs in the eggs of pest insects, uh, like st stink bugs and caterpillars and other things that are flies, yeah. uh, you know, that. Uh, would be damaging crops. So you, instead of putting down pesticides, you release a ton of these wasps and the wasps actually take care of the pests for you. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that, you know, most people think bees are good, wasps are evil. That's a pretty common thread amongst a lot of people. Uh, it's that you see memes about it all the time online, <laughs> you know, yeah. good, good, guy good guy bee, wasps are the devil, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, but generally it's because people only think of wasps, they only think of the social wasps, and they think of yellow jackets, they think of hornets, they think of paper wasps, they think mm -hmm. about the wasps that they've probably gotten sung by at one point in their life. Uh, but yeah. Social wasps only make up a really, really tiny proportion of overall wasp species, so maybe a few hundred species of social wasps on the planet versus hundreds of thousands of parasitoid wasps. Um, so most wasps are solitary and most of them actually can't even sting. So they're pretty harmless. <laughs> but there's one out there with a god awful sting. Um, I don't know if anyone who's watching or listening right now ever seen that series Coyote Peterson did. It's kind of what brought him his fame. You stung by some of the most like most painful stings in nature. And um, what was it? What was the one that, that got him the tarantula hawk? Yeah. And like that's an awful one to look at because, like, Thomas, can you pull that one up? Yeah, yeah, I can. You, like, get a picture of a stinger. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty intense stinger. Um, the tarantulas are, are definitely um, a really quite a cool wasp. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a thumbnail from his video there. Third picture in. 
they're, and uh, they're called tarantula wasp um wasps or no yeah tarantula wasp because I'm going to trip up myself because they kill tra tarantulas. Boom. <laughs> the, female, the females hunt tarantulas, and there's some pictures there of the females wrestling with the tarantulas. But, but they can take down a tarantula four or five times their size, um, and the females will basically force the tarantula to get into its defensive posture, which is, you know, lifting its front legs up. You know, if you've ever held a tarantula or been around a tarantula, and they get upset. Fangs go up, front legs go up. That's the yeah. posture. But the wasp wants it to do that because as soon as it does that, the female then uses that very long stinger, which she actually positions her abdomen underneath her body, stings the tarantula in the middle of its thorax, right where its legs connect. Uh, that paralyzes the front legs. It also paralyzes the fangs. Tarantula goes down. It's difficult to move. Tarantula climbs up, I mean, the wasp, she climbs onto its back and then she stings directly into its brain. Uh, which shuts its whole body down, but doesn't kill it. Um, it that is so awful. <laughs> paralyzed, <laughs> stabbed paralyzed. in the brain. Yeah, stabbed in the brain. But it's like it's it's paralyzed to the point of you know the deepest possible coma. Like the tarantula at that point is basically dead. The only things that are functioning are its heart um, and some other little slight vital organ activity to just keep it just alive long enough. And the reason why she does that is because after she's done that, she drags it to a burrow, she lays her eggs on it, she closes the burrow off, and that's her done. She's not mothering again. So the larvae will hatch, but if the spider was dead, uh, it would be dried out, it would rot before the larvae had hatched. Uh, so yeah. this way the larvae hatch, they're able to eat a fresh spider, and they actually eat it in such a way that they keep the vital organs for last so that it stays alive as long as possible. <laughs> That is rough. That is probably one of the worst ways you could possibly go. Yeah. Uh, and like the sting, I, I assume like, is, is, it, is it a numbing kind of thing? Because uh, it's like, it par paralyzes the... Yeah. <laughs> it's, they, have to, they, they probably have such a very powerful sting because they're actually having to take down a tarantula, which, you know, is, which itself has venom. So a lot of times they actually lose the battle. The tarantula will kill the, spite, the, the wasp. Uh, but the sting is probably so venomous and the venom is so potent because they have to try to take down this very large venomous animal as quickly as possible. Um, there's an entomologist named Justin O'Schmidt who uh, did a pain scale. Uh, it was the one through five, uh, sort of like how painful the sting is. And he actually did all this, he stung himself with ants and bees and wasps uh, long before Coyote Peterson came around. And uh, he did this research and basically the tarantula hawk and then an ant called the bullet ant uh, are the, supposed to be the two most painful stings on the planet. Um, and they kind of tie each other. Um, but supposedly he says it's like um, uh, basically like getting shot. You know, it's, it's literally kind of the worst pain you could possibly imagine. And it lasts for hours. Um, but I will also say uh, with solitary wasps like the tarantula hawk, getting stung is pretty unlikely. Um, you know, if you watch those videos of Coyote Peterson and he's getting stung by various solitary wasps, he's really kind of having to force the wasp to do it. Um, yeah. They, they don't really want to waste their time with a human or even stinging anything except a tarantula. 
So they'll sting, of course, to defend themselves. You know, if you pick one up and start playing with it, she's going to sting you. But, you know, they're not going to ever go after you. They don't have a nest to protect. They don't have sisters to back them up like a social wasp nest. So, you know, you leave them alone, they're not going to bother you. Uh, mm -hmm. you, could you could probably go and, and touch one and it's not, she's not going to bother you. She'll probably just fly away. I'm on guard. I'll, I'll pass. Help me sleep. You know, no, I'll still pass and touching it, though. You'd have to be out of your mind or, you know, Coyote Pearson to do that. <laughs> One or the other. Yeah. And it, it's, it's amazing how, like, um, social behavior has evolved in, you know, insects and in um, vertebrates. Um, yeah, you don't really see it on, like, lower structures. Like, you're not going to see much of it in, or, like, complex behavior in, like, amphibians or even some reptiles. But then when you start scaling it up, you know, there's, there's like obviously human society, there's chimpanzee society, gorillas, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you get to the, these insects and they really work like a hive mind. It, it's just amazing how, you know, I don't know what you call it, when two things evolve similarly, separately, separately. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's cool to see. Yeah. Uh, it's huge in that family. Yeah, it's, it's it, the social the social structures that happen in in uh, wasps and and bees, of course, and ants uh, are pretty pretty interesting. Um, there's definitely it's been studied a lot, you know. I mean, especially with bees because of their importance to agriculture. Um, but you know, wasps uh, have been proven to be very intelligent. Uh, social wasps can recognize each other by their face. Uh, some recent studies have shown that, which is pretty amazing. So this tiny little insect is able to, you know, see another wasp of its same species and it's able to recognize whether it's a member of its nest or if it's a member of a different nest, simply by yeah. looking at its face, just like we humans would look at a, somebody and say, oh, I, I know that person or I don't know that person. Yeah. Uh, that's facial recognition in an insect is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, so they're social wasps are definitely very intelligent creatures in a lot of ways because all social animals have to be somewhat intelligent. Um, you know, it's difficult to be a social creature and not have some sort of complex uh, brain waves because otherwise your social structure would fall apart. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Social wasps are, are something I, I don't do as much with. Um, <clears throat> They get the lion's share of people's appreciation, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, I would say, uh, you know, they're still really something I'm, I'm, I like all wasps really. And I, and I study them all kind of equally. Uh, you know, that behind me is, this is. Ooh, show and tell. This is a bald faced nest. Uh, so, you know, in, in Ireland, you have a, you have a, a similar species, uh, I think in Ireland, it's a Dolacovispula media, the media wasp, median wasp. Um, and in America, in America, we have these that are called bald-faced hornets in America, but they're not actually hornets. It's one of those names <clears throat> they have that's not actually accurate. They're actually more like a yellow jacket. Uh, they're pretty big black and white wasps. But I think what's pretty amazing about this is like, you know, this was all made in one year. And it's a one-time use thing. So they make it from starting in spring until fall, and then it's done. So this is, you know, bigger than my head is. <laughs> uh, and they can get they can get twice as big as this, uh, which is yeah. pretty amazing. And I've so had the experience opening up the shed after a long winter of finding the yeah. nest. Of <laughs> and 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 definitely not something you want to you want to find when they're active. <laughs> uh, they were. <laughs> yeah. Social yeah. work. 
definitely can be very protective of their nests. And I mean, one of the reasons why they can is because just like with bees, you know, they're so protective because workers don't matter. Uh, you know, the workers die in the process of protecting their nests. The nest is still going to function because the queen's still in there. There's still more workers. There's larvae to protect and pupae to protect mm -hmm. and eggs to protect. So, you know, if you know, have a nest that size, that nest could have had like 500 wasps in it. Um, even if a hundred of them died in the process of protecting it, their nest, if they did protect the nest, the nest would still function. Whereas if you have a social wasp, a solitary wasp, like a tarantula hawk, she doesn't have any sisters to back her up. She doesn't have a nest to protect. So if she risks stinging you and then gets killed in the process, her whole larvae will never survive. Yeah. Food to provide for them. So it, yeah, social wasps are definitely a little bit more aggressive than solitary wasps. <laughs> Definitely not yeah. that you want to you want to run into it by accident. Yeah, absolutely. But no, just that kind of like structure they have of uh, being a social group. It, you don't really see that in like other other groups of um, insects. Like you wouldn't see that in flies or beetles at all. No, not as, not as far as I've ever seen. But it's super common in the wasp family. Well, it's it's yeah, wasps, bees, and ants are definitely the most most dominant sort of examples of, it's called, a, the fancy term is eusociality. So it's a, a caste system of social caste system. So you have different insects that are in the nest that have different roles. That's very common in ants where you have like some that are workers, some that are soldiers, some that are nurse mates. Um, uh, but yeah, you don't see it as much in other insects. There's not really any very complex structures, except for, of course, termites, which uh, are technically a kind of cockroach. So termites are basically oh. social cockroaches. I would have thought they were in the, the, the ant family. That's yeah, what I the common misconception about them is because they, they have a very similar structure. You know, they have the flying reproductive stage where all the flying ones fly around. Uh, they are also have, they're everywhere. You know, they, they can get into your homes. They have underground nests. They have a very similar life cycle to ants. But uh, the major difference is that with termites, all the workers are either male or female. Uh, with ants, bees, and wasps, all the workers are female. Uh, male wasps, bees, and ants play no roles in the nest whatsoever. Um, male wasps uh, and bees and ants uh, cannot sting, only the females can. So males are only pretty much around for one purpose. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure you can imagine what that purpose is. <laughs> Um, but usually the nests are, <clears throat> with a large nest, social wasp nest, you won't actually have males until the end of the year. Uh, so the females, the workers just, you know, they, they tend to the nest and everything. Males are born at the end of the year. They leave the nest. They find a new queen to mate with, and then they die. <clears throat> um, so they don't really have much of a purpose, particularly. Whereas with termites, it's both male and females that are workers. Mm. Yeah. Well... I guess some would consider that a sound old life, um, <laughs> and some some would consider it pretty sad. Um, yeah, I, I did know that uh, genuinely, but yeah, I, I honestly I don't know what to say to that. So, and how did you even get into this? Because this is this is obviously a very niche subject, but I guess someone has to do it. Um, well, I mean, I there's uh, entomology is something I've always been interested in since I was a little kid. Um, you know, I was always interested in insects from a very early age, uh, and um, 
it just sort of stuck around. Um, I didn't end up ever going to school for it. Uh, I actually consider myself an autodidactic entomologist. So like I taught myself everything that I know. Mm -hmm. I, you know, have people that I'm connected with through social media that are professional entomologists working in academia that I communicate with, get papers from, things like that. But I never went to school for it. Uh, and actually, if I kind of had given up on the idea of ever working in the field until I found the job at the, at the lab up in New Hampshire, um, which was actually a really great sort of thing for me. Um, but yeah, it's been something sort of a lifelong love, but it was basically art and entomology were the two things that I was obsessed with as a kid. And art was the thing that I went to school for instead of entomology. Uh, in the United States, there's not a lot of uh, jobs for entomologists. Uh, we don't fund them in this country very much. Uh, most of the research is being done in Europe or in Asia as far as insects go. Uh, and that's just because in the United States, pretty much the only thing that we want to do with bugs here is kill them. So people, people get a degrees, PhDs even in entomology and pretty much the only jobs available are working in pest control companies and developing new ways of killing them, developing new ways of controlling them. Um, and that just wasn't something I was interested in doing, so. Um, yeah, that's fair. Glad you found a way to put, you know, art and your love of wasps together because you, you do that on Instagram now. You have yeah. a photography account for wasps, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean that was that was kind of my my blending of my uh, my two my two things my photography love and then my insect love with these things and that's what I did during COVID in last year was I just started taking these photos in that way and that's an Instagram account all those photos were taken this last summer um, because you know at the lab normally during the summer from basically May through September we're doing programs uh, you know at schools museums at nature centers blah 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 etc all summer long, uh, but last year, obviously, we didn't do any of those. Uh, we didn't have any programs because they were all canceled because of COVID. So I had a lot more time on my hands. <laughs> so I went out in the back fields behind my house and drove around to woods and, and meadows and whatnot and, and just caught wasps and brought them back here and took photos of them and, and started working on them. Well, ideally, I'd, I'd like to try working on a book is what my, hope, my goal is with them. Why book? Why a book? Um, just because I, I really want to create a book that sort of showcases how amazing wasps are and how unbelievably diverse they are. Uh, yeah. So it kind, of, kind of not necessarily geared towards the experts, but geared towards more of the lay people, uh, more of the people who don't know as much, but are maybe interested in learning about insects. Uh, because wasps get a very, very bad rap. Um, it's been, you know, I oftentimes, when I tell people who aren't in my entomology world uh, what I'm interested in, and they say, "My, why wasps? Like, ew, gross, ah, they're awful, I hate them, they're assholes, they sting me. Um, so I wanna try to create something that is a published thing that basically you know, showcases how great these things are um, and how amazing they are and how, you know, utterly complex they are. Um, you know, it's not just yellow jackets and hornets. <laughs> That's just like barely even an icing on the cake as far as how many species there are and, and what kind of diversity there is. Um, and they're also how vital of a role that they play in the ecosystem. You know, even the social wasps that people don't like are important predators. Um, they're also pollinators. Um, adult wasps are incapable of eating solid foods, which is something a lot of people don't know. So an adult wasp doesn't eat 
solid foods. They eat nectar or sap, uh, anything sugary, just like a bee does. Um, and so a lot of wasps are important pollinators. Um, and so some of them even more so than bees. There are some plants that only rely on wasps to be pollinate them. Figs, for example, are only pollinated by wasps. Um, and uh, they also are parasitoids and the other predators do help to control populations of insects, just like any predator would do. Um, so they're, they're a vital, important part of the ecosystem. And I think they need to get a little bit more love than they do, which is also why I started the Instagram account, because I wanted to show these photos of like these portraits, basically, of wasps, mm -hmm. how, how beautiful they are, really. Yeah, um, and that's how we get in, in contact uh, to do this. Uh, occasionally, I want to take a step away from having actors on uh, or comedians, blah, blah, blah. I like people who are more expert in their fields, and I just kind of went stro scrolling through. I was like, okay, huh, wasps. Yeah, I, I know a little bit about wasps. How, what else is there? And then obviously, um, message you, and here we are today. I've got we've done the same with a guy who was a a, uh, a dart frog breeder. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. That was pretty cool. Shout out to you, Chuck. <laughs> That's you mean Chuck. Funny. Uh, I, I don't I don't breed any wasps. Although actually I do have a paper wasp nest that's uh, um, in I have paper wasps that are hibernating in my garage right now. Um, On purpose? So, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I reared them last year. Um, I actually spoke to a friend of mine who a Facebook friend of mine who is in Italy who raises uh, paper wasps. Paper wasps are actually pretty easy to raise. Uh, you know, they don't make particularly large nests like yellow jackets or hornets do. Um, and you basically all you need to do is just supply them with some cardboard to chew up to make their nests, honey or sugar water to feed the adults, and then toss in caterpillars every once in a while for them to feed their larvae. Um, and so I actually had them, I had a female last year and she had a nest and she raised offspring and then I got males for the offspring. They mated and now they're overwintering uh, and can bring them out in spring and see if they'll start a new nest. Hmm. In nature, what do they use? Because there's obviously a lot like scraps of paper just flowing around the place. Uh, wood, usually wood, dried wood. Uh, or like reeds, anything that's kind of fibrous like that, uh, they'll use that to make their nests. Um, a lot of times human structures are easy to come by. So, you know, people have decks or they have fences. You'll oftentimes see wasps sitting on there and they'll be chewing off the wood pulp and then mixing it with their saliva. And then they go back to the nest and make the, make the nest. Uh, in the captive situation, the, the cardboard seems to work better for them. Uh, they, they, they're more readily apt to go after it because in the wild, they tend to be very picky about where they're getting it from. So they only go to like, you know, I actually have a, a pole in my, my garden and uh, every year the paper wasps will only go to that pole, but not to the other pole. That's the exact same kind of wood. So you know, who knows why, but there's something about that wood that's, that's just right. <laughs> uh, it could be just, you know, how dry it is or maybe mm -hmm. like it's lacking in bacteria or fungus, uh, who knows, uh, but they are, they tend to be a little bit more picky in the wild, but yeah, just dried up wood. That's the major thing that they make them out of. Um, and then, yeah, so social wasps, the queens overwinter, um, all the rest of the colony dies. So everybody else is dead. Uh, what, what does that mean, overwinter? Uh, they just like any, just like you know, 
bears, they hibernate. They, uh, they find a place to, to hunker down, someplace dry, uh, out of the way, and they just spend winter like that. They, they, they shut their bodies down completely. And then once the weather starts getting warm again, they wake back up, they get, them, get themselves some food, and then they find a spot to start building their nest. Uh, they'll have mated in the fall. So all the females, the queens will have mated in the fall. So they already have you know, everything they need to start a nest. Uh, and then they just start it all on their own. And then when the first workers are born and become adults, they, uh, the queens tend to like not leave the nest after that. And they're just mostly laying eggs and then the workers take over and then it starts the whole process over again. So by the end of summer, males and new queens emerge. All the workers die, the old queen dies, uh, the males die after mating and the new queens are the ones that overwinter and start the process over again. And if, if a queen was to die in a nest, how would they go about you know, getting a new queen? Or how, how do new queens like appear in the first place? Uh, well, new queens, new queens are most, so with social insects, uh, social monopterans <clears throat> like wasps, bees and ants, uh, the queens are usually just female larvae that are fed a larger amount of food, a larger share of the food basically. Uh, which allows them to develop into a larger and also actually able to mate fertile uh, version of the workers, basically. Um, and so that can happen, that usually happens towards the end of the season. Uh, but if a queen were to die in the middle of the season, uh, they would never have a new one. Um, unlikely that they would ever have a new one unless the unless the workers somehow decided to feed another one more food you do see that with honeybees but that's because honeybees have enormous colonies uh you know a single honeybee colony can have 20 to sixty thousand members uh so when they have new queens they do have them on a more regular basis uh mm. so if a queen dies they can they can basically go okay well here's some female larvae we're gonna we're gonna make that a, into a queen um interestingly in some social wasps the workers will kill their queen um and that's because they want to make, lay eggs themselves <clears throat> and uh so here's a weird thing that's a crazy fact for you um so in hymenopterans so in male and so in wasp bees and ants female eggs come from fertilized eggs and males come from unfertilized eggs. So a male wasp, bee or ant doesn't have a father, but has a grandfather, uh, which- <laughs> That's cool, shit. <laughs> which, is a, which is a weird thing. So, so basically the workers in a nest can lay male eggs because the workers in like say that you know, bald faced nest that shows you the workers can't mate. They're incapable of mating. They don't have the biology to do it, but they can lay eggs, but they'll always be male because they haven't made it. Only the queen can make new workers because she's mated and can lay female eggs. So mm -hmm. sometimes what will happen is towards the end of the season, the workers will kill their mother, who is the queen, so that they can lay their own male eggs, which will then pass on their genetic material to possibly mate with a new queen and then yeah <laughs> it's a very strange structure so it's not it's not structured like perfectly like they will kill <laughs> yeah but they're passing on their own genetic material in some way so it's you know it's it's, it's a weird thing that the males males are only from unfertilized eggs uh but it's kind of a way of 
they're, by doing that, they're passing on their genetic material to a new nest mm. without being a queen themselves. So if you're a worker, you can't lay a, a female egg, you can't lay a queen egg, but you can lay a male egg who will mate with a queen who will then start a new, a new colony. So you'll have a whole colony that's technically yours versus mm. the, the mother's. Um, weird things like that. <laughs> yeah, that's def definitely odd. And you really caught me off guard with the, they don't have fathers, but they have grandfathers. That's, that's pretty weird. Yeah. But it, it's kind of kind of cool to see. Yeah, that's, that's true across all the waspies and ants. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird genetic thing. Um, it's not particularly true in other insect groups either. Um, it's just something about time and Um I don't really particularly know why that's the case. <laughs> Well, evolution's a weird thing, isn't it? It is, indeed. Uh, yeah, like, some of the origins, or believed origins of different species are very weird. Like, they, they believe um, that, like, squids and octopus and whatever came from something that looked a lot like a limpet, and eventually it just knew how to, like, balance itself, was able to use its, I don't know, its stump to move, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, because we had a marine biologists on before we had some weird conversations about that yeah um yeah weird stuff my biology is so weird but so interesting yeah you know yeah. like how life overcomes and then thrives in the weirdest environments like we were talking earlier about that tiny tiny wasp and how it's adapted to to fly when it's that small mm. but you say it doesn't really fly it swims through the air yeah yeah it's so it's so so small and so then less dense than the air is it has to swim through the air so it's like if you were there you were their size you you literally would have to like be pushing the air out of your way to fly because you were the air was denser than you are uh, it's just a crazy thing to think about but yeah so there's it's very possible that there are you know thousands of species of these tiny wasps that we will never find because they're just so so small it's just weird, man. <laughs> yeah. Just weird. So, like, so, uh, yeah. Again, some of the stuff I can do. Um, yeah. Well, well, there's like, there's only one um, terrestrial yoka that's able to live on um, Antarctica. I, I, th I think it's a kind of wasp, is it? There's a fly. There's a fly that lives in Antarctica. There's a fly. Oh, it's who a fly. Lives, yeah. It's, it's larvae live in penguin shit. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. If I try to look this up, it, it just doesn't work. Fly in Antarctica. Uh, yeah, I'm not looking for a trip there. <laughs> uh, I forget what it's called, but it's actually a very interesting species because it, uh, so it's able to deal with the cold because uh, the reason why things die in the cold is because the water inside of their cells freezes and the ice crystals rip open the cell. So this insect, uh, which I don't remember what it's called, has the ability to actually remove water from all of its cells. So it basically dries itself out entirely. And then that way it can freeze completely solid and not die mm. uh, as its cells are still intact. And then once it gets a little bit warmer during the, you know, sh the summer in Antarctica, uh, it's able to rehydrate itself and then start the process over again. But yeah. yeah. Our Ar Arctic. Oh, can you and put a picture now? Uh, yeah. It's uh, the Antarctic midge. 
or Beligica Antarctica. Yeah. Or Belgica, whatever. Man, that's, that's a weird thing. I, I heard about this thing when I was in um, transition year. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how, uh, I, I, or maybe it was beforehand. I was doing this project on like uh, terraforming Mars and we're looking like some like extremophile uh, animals and this this one just came up in the research yeah yep, that's like there's some tardigrades um two ones i was interested in but this this yoke here that's that's pretty that's, that's a cool yoke yeah no it's interesting i mean the way that insects have adapted to virtually every sort of ecosystem is pretty amazing um you know it's the hottest deserts to the coldest climates you have insects mm. um, you know they are they are They've been around for hundreds of millions of years and you know they'll be a lot around hundreds of millions of years after we're gone i'm sure uh so they're they're a pretty complex group of animals and the way that they've evolved to be able to deal with these extremes is pretty amazing i don't know of any wasps that are in antarctica no it there is, there's none native i think this is the only species of insect actually in Antarctica is this midge it's the um, only terrestrial one because it doesn't fly uh, it's too cold, I'm sure, for it to fly, uh, the wings to function. Uh, like the size of that thing, that, that's, the, that's the biggest land animal on Antarctica. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Extreme environments. Yeah. Um, it definitely drives things in a weird way, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, you see that with tardigrades, too. We just brought those up a second ago. Um, you know, They've been exposed to the vacuum of space and freezing temperatures, no extreme temperatures. They just, they just chill. They're totally okay. Yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> and then they're like super small or they vary in size. Yeah. The tardigrades are very different. They're definitely really, really, really cool creatures because of their ability to handle these extreme conditions. Uh, probably shows us a lot about how life developed initially on Earth when it was an extreme planet, you know, I mean, when there was extreme temperature swings and volcanic activity everywhere. And uh, very likely that's how some of the early life probably looked, you know, hmm. you know extreme, the extremophiles as they call them. Um, yeah. I don't know of any particular wasps that are specific to any kind of extreme environments, but they definitely are able to uh, go beyond environments in very weird ways uh, and just, you know, to, to evolve in these unusual ways of dealing with finding their hosts or their prey. There's a recent video that came out uh, in a lot of the entomology groups on Facebook that was um, this uh, Japanese researchers caught, there's a species of braconid wasp who uh, lays its eggs in aquatic caterpillars. So caterpillars Moths and butterflies evolved from caddisflies. It's the sister group to moths and butterflies. So they were aquatic at one point in their lives many millions of years ago. And so there's a few caterpillar species that actually live underwater. Um, and so there's this wasp that lays its eggs in this underwater caterpillar. And in order to do that, it actually like, you know, crawls around the top of the water and it envelops itself in air an air bubble and it swims down, finds a caterpillar, lays its egg on it, and then comes back up. Um, the, the Japanese researchers actually called it the Godzilla wasp because it kind of bursts through the water every time like Godzilla does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a few examples of like aquatic wasps, which is very mm -hmm. weird. There's actually a species that lays its eggs on dragonfly eggs. 
And so these tiny, tiny wasps uh, live uh, on the on the backs of female dragonflies. So it's, they're called phoretic. They basically are not parasitic. They're not hurting the dragonfly. They're just staying on its body. And as soon as she enters her abdomen into the water to start laying her eggs, they crawl down her abdomen and into the water to lay their eggs into her eggs. Uh, so you have like these very, you know, basically there's very few insects on the planet that don't have a parasitoid wasp that uses it at some point in its life cycle, either it's egg or it's larvae or it's pupa or it's adult. Um, do we? <laughs> not us, no. <laughs> there's no vertebrates that do it. Uh, no, no vertebrates. All vertebrates are safe from parasitoid wasps. It's just insects and uh, arachnids. So there's some spiders that they go after. Uh, there's a species that goes after ticks even. Um, so there's, you know, but just arthropods. And as far as I know, only arachnids and insects. Well, I guess we can consider ourselves lucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's weird stuff. Uh, I, I love to learn about it. Um, but yeah, like insects in general, they're a, they're a, they're a crazy group. Um, and then like, you know, like false insects, like, um, you know, what, what are they called? Woodlice? And yeah. they're actually crustaceans? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird one. They have gills. I didn't even they know They have that. gills, Thomas. That's mad. They have gills, yeah. I never, I never tried it, but like if, if, you, if you boil them, they turn red. So. I didn't know that. <laughs> but yeah, they are they're crustaceans. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'd say on the ocean, you have, a, you have ones that are semi more like crustaceans. They're called I think slaters, uh, you know, and they look similar to the wood lice, but they actually live in sort of the tidal pools going up and down into the water. Um, yeah. And then of course there are giant ones in the deep seas that are like mm. the size of puppy. I think there's one called sand fleas. Is that the same group, sand fleas? Uh, isopods. Yeah. Yeah. The, the okay. giant Giant, giant isopods in the in the deep sea are the basically giant. They look like giant wood lice. Yeah, man. It's, I've said it so many times today. It's just weird. It's so weird how, how they evolved compared to us. Well, it's like, you know, arthropods were the dominant sort of life on Earth for a long time, and they still are. I mean, you know, they make up about ninety percent of all animals on the planet are arthropods of some kind, either insects or arachnids or crustaceans um, or myropods like centipedes and, and millipedes. Um, you know, they are, they've been around since before the dinosaurs existed and they've evolved into so many different kinds of species and filling all kinds of different environmental niches. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it's something that we need to take more consideration of as to how important they are to the biodiversity and to the ecosystems. Um, there's a lot of new research coming out about how, you know, we're losing insects at an alarming rate and, mm. you know, figuring out a way to like stop that because, you know, they are important. Um, they're important to food for many birds. Um, yeah. you, know, you lose insects, you lose birds, mm. you lose birds, you lose trees, you lose all kinds of stuff. You lose insects. Yeah. Mm. And it, it's dangerous stuff. Yeah. Like, we were talking yesterday with uh, Chris DeVault about regenerative agriculture. And, you know, he kind of has a system going and even if pests get to something, there's so much plant diversity, something else is going to get to it. Mm. And like, I guess in his system, he's grown so much, like if he didn't have the right wasp for, you know, his figs, 
you know, it wouldn't work. Or yeah. a bunch of other plants that he has like that. It's, uh, yeah, we, we kind of need to take care of them. And we could probably do it less spraying them. And um, I think that the idea of just using, um, I guess, their natural predators um, on pests is a better idea than straight up killing them. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the classic example of, I know it's not a wasp like, but using like a, a ladybug on aphids. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you'll have no more aphids. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a wasp that does that too. <laughs> there's always a, there's always a wasp. Oh, it's a guy. There's always a bigger fish. Yeah, there's actually a wasp that uh, uses aphids, uh, at, and it it basically turns them into mummies. So they're they're called they're called a mummy they're called aphid mummy wasps. Uh, so they're a type How of. How much Yeah, you can look at you can find little mummified aphids. They become little brown balls basically, um, and so that's the same situation with the caterpillars. So you have a you female wasp. She lays an egg inside of the aphid. Larva hatches, consumes inside of the aphid. The aphid becomes a hard, crispy mummy, and then it pupates inside of the aphid's body, and then chews its way out as an adult. Starts to cross it over again. But yeah. they actually are used a lot in greenhouses because uh, they're better than the um, uh, ladybugs because the ladybugs can damage other things in the in the. Yep, and they are. Oh so, man, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that is that something crawling out of it in the board picture? Uh, that looks like, yeah, that's one's crawling its way out. Yeah. You can see the, one of the other pictures there with the holes in them, that circular hole, sort of second one in. Yeah, oh, so that, dude, that is awful to look at. <laughs> so wasps, wasps are very, very, wasps like circles a lot. So you'll oftentimes find that the wasp, when they chew their way out of a cocoon or they chew their way out of a host, it's a perfect circle. So that's, that's a circle that the adult wasp made after it, it emerged from the, the aphid. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they lay their eggs inside of aphids. Yep. So that picture that's down was down there showing the, the female like sticking her abdomen into the aphids. So they, they, they're pretty good at doing and getting rid of a lot of aphids. So there's a tropical greenhouse that raises butterflies up, up north of me. And they use those wasps because they can't really spray pesticides inside the tropical greenhouse because they raise tropical butterflies, which need the mm. plants. So they have those wasps that take care of the aphids. Uh, they have those. They have wasps that take care of pest caterpillars, like loop, soybean loopers that they get a lot of in there. Um, and they also have wasps that take care of thrips, which are little tiny, tiny, tiny insects that are really damaging to plants. Mm. Um, so, so they use a lot of them in greenhouses um, and a lot of in agriculture too, um, which I think something's you know. They're figuring out ways to use them to control invasive species too. You know, here in the United States, we have the spotted lanternfly that's sort of spreading from Pennsylvania to other states. Um, it's an agricultural pest. It's really been hard to control, and it's from Asia, and it's just sort of taking over parts of uh, orchards and vineyards and just destroying crops. And uh, one of the solutions is actually introducing a wasp that will lay its eggs in their eggs. <laughs> So wasps to the rescue. <laughs> yeah, I say for organic gardeners, they're a godsend. Yeah, for sure. I say organic gardeners are probably the only people who appreciate wasps <laughs> by yourself. Yeah, well, I think it's it's something that more gardeners, even, you know, just your average gardener, backyard gardener, you know, a lot of times people don't want the wasps around because they think that they're not as important as the bees in their garden. But the wasps are 
really beneficial to your garden. I mean, they'll eat, they'll eat all the garden pests. They'll either eat them or parasitize them. Um, and they'll also will help with the pollination. So, you know, having wasps around is definitely a, a, a good thing in your garden, not something to be afraid of. Well, I might go out and buy some wasps then. It sounds like a good investment. As well, just to have them beside you, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Put them Open. in my room, like, you know, like, yeah. it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm on your shoulder, you know. <laughs> with the amount of notes that Thomas has in that room, they'd make a big old nest. Oh, geez, it'd be bigger than the one you had there. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're a crazy species. And you were saying earlier, like, we obviously haven't discovered all of them, which is oh. kind of terrifying. Where's the other zombie ones? Oh, who knows? There's probably been more bizarre life cycles we have yet to discover. Um, I mean, that's true for insects in general. We don't know about a lot of them, um, you know. Because realistically, who wants to go and study the entire life cycle or keep track of the entire life cycle? Of one insect, yeah. like more people are concerned about, I don't know, going off and doing engineering, uh, maybe some kind of software thing. There's very few people, even in biology, that want to go and do this stuff because it's the hard work. It's not the fun work. It, yeah, and it's a diff It's a it's a shame, really. I mean, uh, you know, entomologists across the world, there's not as many of them as there are. You know, people want to study. People in animal biology want to study the, the popular kids. I, I like to call them like dolphins and gorillas and chimpanzees, you know, yeah. lions and, you know, megafauna, animals that people can see really easily and, and study really easily. But very few people want to study insects. And I think that's probably because there's an overall stigma to them in general. Like even as little kids, you know, people are like, ew, bugs are gross or, you know, I don't like bugs. It's a, that's a common sort of threat amongst children. So, you know, if you're a little kid and you want to like, you're interested in bugs and all of your peers are like, you're stupid for liking bugs. <laughs> it's going to be difficult for these kids to grow up and study them, but we need more people yeah. studying them for sure. Um, Maybe with it coming more into light in terms of being like a food option, people might enter the field more. Because yeah. you see a lot of that, um, maybe not exactly a wasp, but I don't know if it's edible wasps. Um, I know you can eat ants, um, but yeah, eating bugs is kind of becoming a thing now. It, it's been a thing in um, in Asia for a while, in, well, in certain parts. Never so much in Europe, um, and definitely not in the United States. Um, but yeah, it, it's starting to become a thing, so maybe that could get more people into it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, a, it's a, it's, as far as protein goes, it's certainly a lot cheaper and a lot easier and also a lot better for the environment to raise grasshoppers and grind them up than mm -hmm. a cow. Um, I'm not sure I'd prefer a grasshopper burger over a cow burger. <laughs> yeah, it'd be the same page. Have you ever tried insects? Uh, I've had grasshoppers before. Um, which were what, do you, what do you think? Uh, they were very fried and lots of seasoning, so it just kind of tasted like crispy, fried, salty things. So it wasn't really, you know, I, w I don't know if I'd ever have one of the like, you know, the, the grubs that are all full of stuff. Um, I'm not sure I'd be interested in that. <laughs> sitting there snacking away. Most people have like a little thing of peanuts and you're sitting there eating your... Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it's it's in a lot of cultures. It's it's uh, eating insects is in, is normal in a lot of cultures across the yeah. world. Yeah, like just because like we don't like it doesn't mean it's wrong. Exactly. Right? Let them out. You know. Understand. Let me let me let this up a little bit. Yeah. What we got here. 
Okay, there's a lot of species that are edible, apparently. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. I mean, really. 234 butterflies and moths, 244 beetles, 313 ants, uh, bees and wasps, or, or they're all in the same group, 313 ants, bees and wasps, oh. 239 grasshoppers, crickets, cockroaches, 39 termites, 20 dragonflies. Interesting. Mad. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've been told... Um, at certain kinds of ants end up tasting like pistachios. And if that's as bad as it gets, that sounds all right. <laughs> um, but anyways, I'm not going to have you sit here and talk about um, eating insects. It's been a pleasure having you on today. Uh, Thank you. Like, um, I appreciate you know your time. Obviously, one of experts, um, very obviously. <laughs> I just, you know, general curiosity, and uh, you're obviously very open about uh, discussing what you do and so on. So thank you very much. And um, if people want to check you out, where can they find you? Um, <clears throat> I guess, suppose you can find me through my Instagram, which is just at Sloan Tomlinson. Uh, you can also find more information about me and also the lab I work at. It's just the thecaterpillarlab.org. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So, you know, we definitely need help with, you know, people being interested in us. Uh, we've been around for seven or eight years, though. Um, so those are probably the easiest ways to find me. Um, if you want to see more of my insects, my wasp photos, then certainly Instagram is probably the best place to go for that. I don't have any place else at the moment. And they're cool. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Um, so do you have any, I guess, last things to say? Uh, I don't think so. I think just uh, the last thing probably just is like, I just kind of, my, my goal and my hope with all this stuff that I talk about wasps and various things and also the Instagram posts is like, and the hopeful book in the future is that I, I want people to see wasps in a different light. I want them to see them not just as stinging things that they hate, but instead as, you know, amazing creatures that they are. Well, when you write that book, you better contact us immediately. I want to read it. I want to have you on the show after. Right. Um, be a cool experience. For sure. So that, there's pressure. People have watched this episode now. There's pressure on you to do it. There you go. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, Thomas, any final questions? You're brimming with questions earlier. Oh, I'm good. I think I'm good, Jared. You're Thanks. good. Thanks for asking. You're going to sleep, be able to sleep tonight uh, knowing about the, the parasitoid wasps. I will yeah. not lose a wink. There you go. Anyway, Sloan, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, thank you very much for being, uh, being here today. Thank and to everyone who uh, watched or listened, um, Thanks, thanks for being here and take it handy. Top of the morning, lads and ladies. Support for the Awful Irish podcast is now brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's global waste grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and you're no longer lead the luck of the Irish with the ladies. Manscaped just launched in Ireland. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can now be one of the first men in Ireland to experience their life-changing products. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code IrishPod at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code IrishPod.